0: This is a podcast asking the very best in the world how to stay resilient. I'm Michael Bungay-Stanio, and we will get through this. Hey, it's Michael here, and you probably know by now that I, I really enjoy hosting and creating podcasts. I think we will get through this as actually my fourth podcast. um, And I'm loving it. I'm loving the conversations I'm having with people. But not only am I uh, an excited and keen host, I also appear on a lot of podcasts. I'm interviewed by lots of people. And there's really a hierarchy, an A, B, and a C. I mean, the C podcasts, a bit erratic, a bit random, probably nobody actually listens to them. B, you know, the host is uh, experienced but is often just kind of going through the motions now they've got a bit bored with their own podcast and then the A of course the A is the ones that you want to appear on you have uh, an empathetic smart engaged prepared host who's really like I'm, I'm engaging with you I'm engaging with your thinking and your work I'm engaging with you as a human being and they've got an audience that is attuned to what's being offered and really appreciates it and you walk away going, oh, that was just a great conversation. I've appeared on all of those types of podcasts, A, B, and C. And the Bs and the Cs outnumber the As, unfortunately, but the As I treasure. And one of the A podcasts is that hosted by Dave Stekowiak, which is Coaching for Leaders. I think I've been on it, if not four times, certainly three times. And I love it because Dave is such a smart, big-hearted man. And he prepares so rigorously for the conversation that you know you're up for something important. And the audience is appreciative of it. And as I thought about we will get through this, I thought one of the things I might do is not just introduce you to interesting people, but introduce you to terrific podcasts. And that's what I want to do now. I want to actually showcase an episode from Coaching for Leaders, uh, hosted by Dave. And... uh, when I approached Dave and talked to him about this, he sent me a, a list of potential guests. And honestly, there are some fantastic guests on his podcast, but one really stood out. And that's what this interview you're about to hear is. It is with uh, Shelley Winner. Now you could summarize what her talk is about by this statement. What if the worst thing you'd ever done was the thing that you were known for? And she makes a very compassionate and compelling case for, what it means to hire people who have been incarcerated. This is her experience. You can actually see a TED talk, a TEDx talk that she did, which is terrific, has a happy ending, (laughs) which is great, and is a compelling call. And I think this conversation about, you know, when you have become a criminal for whatever reason, and there's a whole other conversation about the criminal system and the justice system. But if you become a criminal, what happens then? What happens when you have done your time? Um, do you do you are you stuck? Are you able to transcend that? And what is all of our roles to help people transcend their past to become the best version of themselves? So this is a terrific conversation. I think you'll enjoy it. I'm a huge fan. I hope you'll also think about signing up for Dave's podcast because it should be one on your gadget, one that you listen to regularly. So enjoy Dave Stikovych interviewing Shelley Winner on the Coaching for Leaders podcast. Today's guest made mistakes, as we all have. Unlike a lot of us, though, her
1: mistakes landed her in prison. She's since turned her life around and is here to show us how we can advocate for justice while still helping organizations improve productivity and revenue. This is Coaching for Leaders, Episode 447.
2: Produced by Innovate Learning, Maximizing Human Potential.
1: Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. What if you were known for the worst mistake you ever made? What if that mistake haunted you in all aspects of your life, including ever being able to find a job? Today's guest is going to really challenge us on how we as leaders in our organizations can do a better job at helping to really benefit from a talent pool that many of us have missed and also to really make a better place for all of us in our society and in restorative justice. I'm so glad to welcome Shelley Winner to the show today. Shelley is a restorative justice advocate whose goal is to change the world, reduce crime, and advocate for justice-involved people— all while helping companies improve productivity and revenues. She is a technology specialist and very active in the restorative justice movement in San Francisco and wants to educate the public about the benefits of hiring the formerly incarcerated. Through her work with Winter Circle, she is closing the gap between soon-to-be-released inmates and technology companies by developing and delivering training to inmates and helping technology companies create internships for justice-involved individuals. Shelly, I am so glad to talk to you today.
2: Hi, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me on the show.
1: Well, the pleasure is mine. When I came across your story recently, I just immediately said, I need to meet you and also, more importantly, to be able to share your work with so many in our community. And I think before we dive in on your work, we should probably go back a bit and talk about how this all started. And you know, so many of us who are in this listening community have had some really great things and some really great privileges happen in our lives. And we've gone the traditional route of having our childhoods and going into college or university. And in our early 20s, we were, many of us, starting careers and taking the first steps. That was not your story, was it?
2: No, it wasn't. Not at all.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Take us back to the beginning, your early childhood. Looking back now, what was different about your story that is maybe not typical?
2: Yeah. So I grew up with teen parents. They were kids having kids. And I grew up very poor. And then my dad started drinking heavily and became an alcoholic and later a drug addict and drug dealer. And I think my dad had somewhere around a number of 17 DUIs. So he was in and out of prison most of my childhood. And he started selling drugs from our home. I remember him having people in and out of our house at all hours of the night buying drugs. The people that would come over and buy drugs from him would steal from me. They stole my homecoming dress. They stole my Barbie collection, <laughs> you know, and it's just like being in that environment. I don't wish it upon any child. And, you know, my mother, although she didn't do drugs, she wasn't there emotionally. You know, she was young and and she was trying to move on from my dad because he just couldn't get it right. And so she started dating other guys and the guys were more important. And so I really didn't, grow up with any positive role models. Nobody telling me that I could be something great. Nobody encouraging me to go to college. And even if they did, we didn't have the money. And my dad's alcoholism, he thought it was cool to be an alcoholic and a drug addict. And I remember at the age of 11, he got me drunk for the first time, me and my schoolmate. We were in sixth grade and he taught us how to play quarters. You know, and at that time we thought it was super fun trying to get the quarter in the cup, but this is your father. This is your father figure. This is somebody who's not supposed to be teaching you these things. And that's kind of how my whole relationship with my dad was. And then when I lived with him in high school, when he was selling drugs, he mentioned, you know, more than once that if I ever wanted to do drugs, just to, you know, let him know. And, you know, I could, I could do them with him, but that always creeped me out. Although I did experiment with drugs in high school, I just, the thought of doing them with my dad didn't sit well with me. So I avoided that, but the opportunity was there if I wanted it.
1: And the path for you went down a similar road that your dad did and you found yourself in trouble with the law as a young adult.
2: I did. I found myself not only an addict, but also a drug dealer and then going to prison just like my father
1: there's a phrase you've mentioned in your work called the losers loop. Tell me about the losers loop.
2: I refer to the losers loop. You know, it's a play obviously off my last name Winner, but the the losers loop is this cycle that children are in, you know, when they have one or both parents that are incarcerated or even if they're not incarcerated but just parents that are not great role models that are into drugs or gangs or, you know, anything that's not positive. You grow up in that environment and that becomes your inheritance. And so what I call that is the loser's loop, because a lot of times it goes from one generation to the next and it's hard to break it. It's like this vicious cycle. And it's because nobody has been taught any other way or taught a better way. So, you know, it just keeps repeating itself. Statistically, they say that 70 percent of children follow in their parents footsteps. So whether your parents lived a, a great life, and they were great role models, or whether they didn't, it has a huge factor on on what path you're going to take as an adult.
1: As you found yourself in prison, where did the road start to get better?
2: The road started to get better when I was taught a new way to live, a new way to think, Because people don't know what they don't know. And if all you've ever been taught is to live life a certain way, then that's all you know. So what ended up happening was right after my arrest, I found out I was pregnant. And the reality of that situation really hit me because I had been following in my dad's footsteps. And I thought, if I continue this path, then my son is most likely going to end up in prison and an addict also. And I knew at that moment that I was going to have to be the one to break this cycle. And I wasn't quite sure at that moment how, but I knew what a good place to start would be treatment. I knew that I wasn't going to be able to live a normal life and live a sober life without being taught the skills necessary to stay sober. And so while I was fighting my case, I enrolled myself into a faith-based program called Adult and Teen Challenge. I believe in God. I'm a spiritual person. I'm not a religious person, but I am a spiritual person. And I knew that I needed his help, his guidance, and his strength to get through this too. So that's where my spiritual journey of healing began. It didn't happen overnight, but I was in that program, I think, for about eight months And during the course of those eight months, I mean, it took a lot of work, but slowly but surely, I started to change and view things differently and view life differently. The more I learned, the better I I became. And I learned how to forgive. And I learned to let go of a lot of things. And I think a lot of that was what was holding me back, really. And having that newfound knowledge really empowered me to do much more with my life. So I carried that mindset I was supposed to get sentenced to 10 years. I ended up getting four years. And of that four years, with my good time, halfway house time, and I got a year off for doing drug treatment, I only ended up doing about a year and a half in prison. But I went to prison with this new found mindset and just kept on that path. And the prison that I was at offered a ton of rehabilitative programs and classes that I took advantage of to learn even more and to become even better it was a great experience for me. Some people say that going to prison is probably the worst possible outcome that could ever happen to anybody. But for me, it saved my life and it made me a better person.
1: As you got to the end of your incarceration, you know, I think that a lot of times we think about a story like yours and we think, well, you get out of prison and then life is good. You're on to a new life and there's lots of opportunities awaiting and there's lots of opportunities for employment. And thinking about your story, there's no easy parts of it. But I, it's interesting that I think some of the hardest parts were actually after getting out. And then what's next? That is a really difficult journey for folks who are coming out of the system.
2: That's the hardest part of the journey. I think prison... Well, at least for me, it was, that was the easy part. It's getting out, reentering society and being successful is the scariest, hardest part. In prison, it's easy because, you know, you don't have any stress. You don't have any bills to pay. You're fed your three meals a day. Just a lot of that stress is gone. And then you get out and now it's like you have to fend for yourself. And now you have to find a job and, you know, you have to get an ID, but you don't have a social security card, but you need a social security card and you can't get that without an ID. There's a lot of people that run into that problem and it's just a nightmare. And then they finally get their ID, but then nobody will hire them because they have a record. So all they're left with is these jobs that don't pay much and they're not able to make the ends meet. And the only way they know how to make the ends meet is to do what they used to do. It's just this vicious cycle.
1: It's really, I think, helpful for us to hear your story because the statistics are really shocking. The unemployment rates are in the 25, 30% after the first few years is typical. And when you compare that to the broader population, I mean, it's just night and day, how much more difficult it is for folks to be able to find work. And you worked hard to find a job when you came out. As you started interviewing and going through the process of looking for work, what was that journey like?
2: That journey was scary, and I wasn't sure quite where to start, especially for me. I hadn't gone to school. I didn't have a degree. Some of the skill sets that I have were <laughs> were you know, built from doing illegal activities, and I didn't have anything really to fall back on. So I got out of prison. I knew I didn't want to settle for some dead end job, but how was I going to get to a good paying job? I knew I wanted to work in tech, but I just didn't know how. And so when I got out, the first thing that I did was I said, well, I better, better go back to school and start working towards getting a degree. Because if I don't, then I'm, I'm always going to be stuck in this rut. So I started back, applied to the community college and I started going to school. And during this time, I was at the halfway house and the news came on and it said, if you're formerly incarcerated and you want to work in the tech industry, then Code Tenderloin will help you. They're helping hundreds of people who have criminal records break into companies like LinkedIn, Twitter, Microsoft. And I stopped dead in my tracks. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I walked over to the TV and I just immediately got on my, my cell phone and looked them up. And they were getting ready to start a new cohort. So I applied. And so what it was, was it's um job readiness program. That, well, it's two parts. It's job readiness, the first part. The second part is a coding program. But the job readiness program is really all that I had needed. So what they did was they help you write a resume, but a really good resume, which usually gets you an interview. And then what they do is they teach you how to interview so that you can get the job. So they had me doing tons and tons of mock interviews to really help prepare me to be able to walk in with confidence and sell myself in an interview. And then what they do is they have relationships with all the tech companies in not all of them, but a lot of them in the Bay Area. And they took us on all these tech tours or field trips. And so we went to places like LinkedIn and we went to Twitter and we went to Microsoft and NerdWallet and we got to hang out with some of the employees at these companies and in network and develop relationships with them. And while we were at one of these tech companies, they had mentioned that they were hiring and that we should apply. And so I did. And I applied, you know, not thinking they were gonna call me back, but I, I just wanted to see, you know, if this resume was gonna get me an interview. And it did. And they ended up calling me back for an interview.
1: And you had good success with the interview. Things went well until yeah. <laughs> until some until, more information. The yeah, until the background check. Yeah, until the background check. And this is really something that I think, if you and I had had a conversation ten or fifteen years ago, and someone had asked me, "Would you hire someone who had a criminal record?" I would have been probably pretty hesitant to do so. And I think that it is probably still the case for a lot of people that there's the hesitancy. And when the background check comes back positive that the conversation really does change. And it changed for you, didn't it?
2: It absolutely did. So I was forthcoming. Right after I was offered the position, I was forthcoming about it. And I said, well, listen, I have to tell you something. I have a record and it was for drugs, but that's not who I am today. Do you think that this is going to be a problem that's going to hinder me from moving forward with this offer? And she wasn't quite sure, but she seemed hopeful. And she's like, no, I don't think so. Just be honest about it. So I was. And of course, I knew it was going to come back flagged. But what I didn't know was that my job offer would be revoked because of that. It got flagged. They sent me an email and they said, hey, you know, your background was flagged. You have three to five days to respond and explain to us, why is this flagged? Like, what happened? Why do you have this, you know, drug charge? And so I took that as an opportunity to write a very heartfelt letter to them explaining, you know, a little bit about my past, but more importantly, the things that I had done to turn my life around and who I was today and why they should hire me. And all those rehabilitative classes and programs that I did while I was in prison, I had all of those certificates. And so I scanned all of those to my Google Drive and i attached the letter to an email along with a lot of those certificates to show them to prove to them like hey i'm serious i really did turn my life around and it were certificates for classes like my drug treatment and anger management and forgiveness and public speaking and just tons and tons of classes and i thought that i was going to be okay and what's interesting is I sent them this information. I sent them the letter, my certificates. And as I'm waiting for their response, one of the emails that they had actually sent me had this link on it. And I didn't know what it was, but I clicked on it. And it was a link for the Fair Chance Ordinance. And as I'm reading this link, it states that no company located within San Francisco limits can discriminate against somebody's criminal record unless it directly relates. So if you robbed a bank, you're not going to be a bank teller, you know. And the other part of this ordinance states that if the person has been deemed rehabilitated, for example, taking rehabilitative classes and programs, then they can't be discriminated against either. So I read this and I instantly was filled with hope because I thought, you know, they have to hire me. Since, I you, since you
1: had already received the offer at this point, you were qualified for the job. It was merely a question of the background check, right?
2: Yep. So after reading this, I thought, oh, I'm good. And I assumed because they sent me the information in the first place that they knew about it. And so I waited very patiently. And finally, I get a letter. They actually FedExed me a letter. And it was their letter saying that they were not going to hire me. based on my criminal record. And I just remember that feeling where just rejection. And I felt like my one shot to really just get ahead in life. The rug had been pulled out from under me and those thoughts, you know, of, am I ever going to be able to find a decent job? Is any good company ever going to give me a chance? Why do I have to continually being, be punished for the rest of my life for this stupid mistake when I've worked so hard to turn my life around? Is this going to be the struggle I have to deal with for the rest of my life? You know, all of these things are just going on in your brain and it really is discouraging and it starts to, you know, you start to question your self-worth and your self-esteem goes down and it's just all negative things that, that take place from that, those feelings because you know that you're branded for life. So I called my mom, I was just, I was heartbroken and she said, listen, Shelly, you know, you need to contact the fair chance ordinance and see if they can help you. And I said, but mom, they're the ones that sent me the information. I mean, clearly they, they know about it and they wouldn't be rejecting me if they didn't know that they could. She says, just call them. So I did. And a nice lady answered. She asked me, well, what company, you know, discriminated against you? And I told her and the way that she responded to that was, well, I don't, I don't know if I can win that for you. I don't know if we can win against a company that big. I've never fought somebody that big. And I just thought, okay, well, you know, what do I have to lose? (laughs) I really have nothing to lose at this point. So let's just do it. Let's see what happens. And so she contacted them and, you know, we went back and forth. I mean, it dragged on for, I think, another three months. But thankfully at the time, because I think in most situations, people have to find a job very quickly because they have to start making money and they're, they don't have the time or resources or energy to fight. Yeah. But at the time I did because I was at the halfway house and so I didn't have any bills. They fed me my meals and my rent was 25% of whatever I made. So if I didn't make any money to pay rent, my rent was $0. So I was able to stick this out and fight and I ended up winning. I ended up winning in the end. But the thing was, was the, the original position that I had applied for had already been filled. And so they told me, well, you're gonna have to reapply now for another position. And not only that, but now you're gonna you're up against three other applicants for the same position. Mm and i just thought to myself this is this is going to be their way to legally not hire me they're going to say somebody better interviewed somebody more qualified applied you know whatever so that was another moment for me that was really really hard almost made me want to give up too because it was just being put through this ringer and jumping through hoop after hoop after hoop and it was like when is this going to end and during this time there were people in my life that were telling me Stop wasting your time, you know, with this company. They obviously don't want to hire you. Why don't you go find a company that does want to hire you and and values you? Because even if you get this job and you basically make them hire you, they're going to treat you like that. They're going to treat you differently and you're always going to be treated differently because you're formerly incarcerated. And I remember that fear, but thank goodness for the rational thinking skills that I had learned and I was able to rationalize that like, okay, You know, there might be some truth to that and that could happen, but it's not a fact. And really, if it does happen, I'll cross that bridge when I get there. And if they are different or mean to me, then I'm going to kill them with kindness. And I don't think if I continue to kill them with kindness, that they will continue to be mean to me. So I can get over that quickly. (laughs) I mean, that was my thinking. And then I got the job and it never happened. None of that fear that I thought could happen did happen. So I'm glad that I didn't let that be a factor into whether I kept this fight going or not.
1: It's really just so remarkable to me, your story, your bravery. And I'm also struck that you're unfortunately probably the exception that, as you mentioned, a lot of people would not have had the situation you had where you could spend the three months, um, a lot of people don't live in a place that has a law like San Francisco has, the ordinance, and also your courage and your bravery to just be willing to keep trying. And yet that's not the case for most people. They don't have all of those. And I think it's one of the the things I know both you and I wanted to have come out of this conversation is for employers to be able to think a little differently. And I was thinking about the quote from Fred Rogers who said, there isn't anyone you couldn't learn to love once you've heard their story. Mm -hmm. And we're so quick to put people in a box if we don't know their story or we don't know the journey they've been on. And I hear your story and I hear about what's happened with you and just what responsibility you've taken. And there's so many more people like you who have done the work, who have been through the programs, who are ready to reenter society and to contribute. And yet there's so many obstacles that are in the way, aren't there?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. 56% of companies will not hire somebody with a record in the United States.
1: Yeah. It's really, it's really stunning. And yet, I was really so heartened to find how many organizations have started to recognize this. And one of them is SHRM, the Society for Human Resource Management, which is very well known and a very well respected organization. I tracked down one of their reports that said within organizations that have hired those with a criminal record, of managers rate the value workers with a criminal record bring to the organization as similar or greater to those who don't have a record. That's a really high number. And it really speaks to, I think, the fear that a lot of organizations have of either fear of working with someone with a record or fear that they're not going to perform. And the statistics just don't support those fears, right?
2: Yeah. The data does not support it. There's companies out there right now that have hiring initiatives to hire formerly incarcerated and are very open about that like companies like Slack and Dave's Killer Bread and Total Wine and More. I'm sure there's a ton others but you know some of these companies have actually done studies like Total Wine and More and they found that employees with a record had a 12% lower annual first year turnover rate than those without a record. And I mean 12%, <laughs> that's that's a pretty high number for that
1: not only is the number equal to, but it's actually better for folks who have come out of incarceration it's 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 fascinating
2: well yeah when you think about this, what builds character in people? I think what builds character is when we make mistakes, even grave mistakes, but the, the lessons that we learn from those mistakes is what builds our character, and it builds that grit, and clearly, people who are incarcerated have made. Huge mistakes, but when you go to prison, you have nothing but time to think about those mistakes, and then you have access to rehabilitative classes and programs that can help you become a better person. And those factors, you know, have a, a huge impact on people and their mindsets and wanting to be a better person. And they know that the odds are stacked against them when they get out, and so when they are given an opportunity, and now they're equipped with this new mindset they're great employees. They really are. You know, I think formerly incarcerated are more loyal and they're willing to stick it out, You know, especially if you've given them a second chance to get back on their feet. They're not going to leave you. They're going to stick around and work hard for you.
1: And it's a talent pool that in, in, a, in an age that we have so much competition for great talent, what a wonderful place to look that a lot of organizations are not yet looking.
2: Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, 70 million people have a criminal record that's a lot of people. Yeah. You can't tell me that there's no talent in that pool. And 95% of people that are incarcerated are going to eventually be released. You know. And I think that companies should take advantage of this underutilized talent pool. I think that they would be blown away at how incredible these workers are. Because at the end of the day, a company needs the best employee, not just the best employee without a criminal record.
1: Yeah, and and one of the reasons that I really wanted to share your story is this is I think we've seen some movement in organizations like Sherm and and some of the companies you mentioned to really think forward on this. And I think that the leaders who want to also think forward on this in our community, I think this is a great call to action to find out more about this. And for folks who are hearing your story, Shelley, and are thinking like, well, maybe this is somewhere that I can help, that I can really make a difference, that I can influence the world in a positive way. What's one step that a leader or even an organization can take to begin this journey?
2: Well, I think is to be that advocate at your company or your place of business. You know, Bring it up to HR or your management. Say, what are we doing to help people that are reentering society? Because I think the first step is awareness and then bringing that up because if you're not that person that's going to stand up and say something then who will so we need people to hold the companies they work for accountable and educate them show them you know my TED talk or show them the sherm report or the statistics that you can easily google online there's so much data out there to really squash that fear
1: you mentioned The TED Talk, which is where I got to know you initially and was just amazed by what you shared and your journey. And you've also had a tremendously successful career in the last few years in technology and are doing some exciting things and helping support organizations to do this better. I'm so Mm -hmm. impressed by you in so many ways. I I am curious about one other thing. When I talk to folks who are in organizations or in communities and they are part of an unrepresented demographic, whatever that demographic is, One of the things I often hear from people is they say, you know, there is a spotlight on me more so than there is on other people, if I'm the only person of color or if I'm the person who doesn't fit into the gender norms, that I feel like people are watching me. And I suspect, Shelley, from our conversations that you feel that as well too, that what some of us might think like, oh, I made a mistake at work or did something wrong and not think much of it, that there's an intense pressure on you. As someone who not only has your background, but also has made it very public in the work that you do, how do you handle that?
2: Yes. So there is an element of pressure, most definitely, because as a formerly incarcerated, we are expected by society to fail. We're expected from the beginning to lack social or professional skills or to be untrustworthy or to cause violence in the workplace or to not be competent, whatever the fear is. So for the first, I'd say six to eight months of my job, I can guarantee you that somebody at the company was waiting for me to fail. But what was happening was I was so excited about the opportunity to work there that to me, it wasn't just a job, it was an opportunity that changed my life. And so for me, I just, I performed well because I was excited to be there. But having now had all of this success and moved up very quickly in the company into a, a new role and the role that I'm in, they typically do look for candidates with a degree and some relevant experience. So here I am brand new to this role that I've never, never done before trying to learn the ropes and, you know, having some struggles, not because I'm not competent enough, just, but it's just because I'm building new muscle. But somebody said to me, a coworker of mine had mentioned that, you know, if you don't do well in this role, you're going to lose credibility for all the work that you do. And when he told me that, I knew there was some truth to that. And it really, I think it put it into perspective to, for me about the spotlight that you talked about, like being in that spotlight. And being able to perform, so yeah, there is definitely a lot of pressure in some respect, especially like the higher up you move in a company, and the more that's expected of you, right? yeah, so um that's one example of that I have um, uh, dealing with that, but I just what I do is I just take it one day at a time, I can't stress out over that. I can't climb the mountain in one day, I can't learn everything I need to know for this role in one day, but I can chip away at it each day. And every day I learn more and more and every day I become better and better. And I just have to focus on the day at hand and not focus about the future because it can very well get overwhelming. And if I start to go down that path, I stop myself. And I just think, Shelly, you can only do so much. Just settle down. Things will come to you. Eventually, you just need to take it one day at a time. That's how I get through it.
1: Shelly, I so appreciate you taking the time to share your story with us. I appreciate Mm -hmm. the courage and bravery that you bring to your work. And perhaps most importantly, I appreciate your call to the rest of us to do better by leaning in on this issue and also to really challenge us to do better for people, as so many of us in leadership want to do. I so appreciate yeah. it.
2: I appreciate you having me on the show and, and letting me speak about this. You are helping me bring awareness and I appreciate you for that.
1: Two invitations for you after this conversation. One of them is to go listen to Shelley's TED Talk. It's 15 minutes. It is worth every moment for you to watch it. It'll be linked up in this week's Weekly leadership guide and on the episode notes. My second invitation for you, particularly if you are someone of influence in your organization that has influence either formally or informally on the hiring practices of your organization. You know, a lot of us enter the world and look for ways that we can really change the world in a positive way. And we get into our careers and we get into having children and growing and doing all the things that we keep ourselves busy with in life. And sometimes we miss the opportunities that are right under our nose. And if you are someone who has that influence in your organization to potentially explore this call to action today, I would encourage you to take a few minutes to look at the resources that Shelly and I have put together. We've made it really easy for you. And as we mentioned in this conversation, you know some folks and organizations will be hesitant to go down a path like this. And yet the research and the statistics are pretty incredible that are available from so many organizations and so many companies are beginning to move down this path. You owe it to yourself and your organization To Take a look and see what you may do to influence the world in a positive way. Check out the episode notes for all the details on that. Several related episodes to today's conversation. We have had many folks on the show over the years who have spoken up and done some wonderful work in the world because of their voices, because of who they are, and uh, a few of them that you may want to dive into if this conversation was useful to you. One of them is on episode 103. Olivia Klaus was my guest, talking about her movie, Sin by Silence. It is a documentary film about the victims of domestic abuse and the work that they did, incarcerated women, mostly here in California, who worked to change the laws in our state, and the incredible Leadership in Human Story Behind It. Episode 103 is a very inspirational place to go, as is the movie Sin by Silence from Olivia Klaus. I'd also recommend episode 229 Leadership Lessons from the Challenger Disaster. My guest was Alan McDonald on that episode. Alan is the one person who formally refused to sign for the launch of Space Shuttle Challenger back in January 1986, the night before. He talks about, in that episode, his journey of what happened that evening, what happened afterwards, and all the way to the journey of being the only person in American history that Congress wrote a law for in order to reinstate his job. All of those details he shares on episode 229. Uh, definitely check that out if you haven't listened to it before. I'd also recommend episode 336, The Choice for Compassion, with Edith Eager. Edith is a survivor of the Holocaust. She is one of the few remaining living survivors. She was 90-plus years old when she appeared on episode 336, and she tells her story of her time in the camps, more importantly, the decisions and the choices she has made to move on and to have an incredibly successful career in helping others to find compassion. Her story Her message and the compassion from her is just unbelievable. If you haven't heard that episode, it is a must-listen, perhaps the most important episode we've ever aired, episode 336. And then finally, I recommend... Checking out episode 374, how to get moving with Scott Harrison. Scott is the founder of the organization Charity Water. It's a very successful nonprofit based here in the States and has done incredible work all over the world to bring clean drinking water to so many. Scott tells his story of leadership in episode 374. All of those past episodes you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. And if you don't already have access to the website, go ahead and go over to coachingforleaders.com. You can activate your free membership. And when you get there, you will be able to then search by topic The entire episode library since 2011. We have tagged this episode under inspiration, as well as a number of other topics. You can search every episode that has been utilized uh, in the past under those topics. In addition, there's a number of free courses that are available on the website. One of them is how to create team guidelines. Recently, I was thrilled to welcome back Susan Gurke and David Hutchins. They Hosted a live class for us recently and it is now posted up in the site if you go and click on courses inside the free membership you'll see it there and you can get full access as well have a fabulous week and see you back next week take
0: care hey it's michael here two things before you go the first is a gift the second is a request the gift I want you to go to mbs.works and hunt down the year of living brilliantly. Really, it's some of my best work because it is a 52 week, 52 teacher, absolutely free video based course where I spend a lot of time curating some of the smartest people I know and saying, teach me the best of what you've got. If you're looking to really step up to have a year that's just a little bit sweeter, a little bit better than the year you've just had, that is a terrific resource so please go and check that out absolutely free no obligation nothing required other than for you to sign up and get going on it and then for the request i just want what every podcast host wants which is a little bit of love so if you'd consider going to itunes or spotify or whatever your favorite podcast platform is and giving the podcast a bit of a rating and a bit of a review that would be amazing thank you